Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Hey, it's Neil. I am excited to share beer stories. Hosted by my good friends Misha Smith and Ilinx Violet from Pastor Street Brewing Company. And produced by me at 7 Million Bike Podcast. So check out beer stories here on a Vietnam podcast. It's going to be a special pod swap and we're going to do more of these over the coming months. There will be new episodes every week. This is for beer enthusiasts, not beer snobs. So if you love beer, you'll love this podcast. The link is in the show notes. Go and follow that if you need it and enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Welcome back to Beer Stories, a podcast set here in Saigon, Vietnam, hosted by myself, Misha Smith, and my co-host, Alex Violet. Our producer is Neil Mackay, theme music by Lewis Wright, and our guest today is our producer. Neil, say hello. Hey, thanks for coming on on short notice. You are welcome. This was definitely not an act of desperation at all. (laughs) Neil, what's your favorite thing about beer? The social aspect of it, doing it with people. Not that I don't do it on my own sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) We were waiting in line and Adrian was looking at all the beers. He loves like IPAs, she loves sours. And then his guy behind, then he's like, you should get this one. It's like the lowest strength, weakest beer. You want to be like chatting them up, trying to like, hey babe. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. They're going to have a bad setup like, hey babe, what do you know about hops? I stopped drinking for like about a year and a half, ten years ago. Did you have a goal in mind? Like were you planning on not drinking ever, ever again? Ever again, yeah. What was it about your life that you decided you didn't want to have any drinks anymore for the rest of your life? Before we get into it, we're going to do our uh, the hottest new running segment in the podcast business. Uh, it's called The Hangover Check. So, Neil, how hungover are you this morning? Right now, I'm okay. When I woke up, I was like death. Okay. Did you, did you have a heavy night last night? Well, I did. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way you get a hangover. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I was like, yeah, no. I mean, it's one of these things I look back and I'm like, I didn't feel like I had too many drinks, but yeah, I had and then Too when many. you're actually thinking about it, you're like, oh, well, there was that, and then the next place, and then... Yeah, yeah. And, you know, came home and 
had soju before went to sleep, Ooh. which is just not necessary, like at all. You soju know? was never necessary. No, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, was hungover, but I recover pretty quickly. Love it, Alex. How hungover were you this morning? Point two. <laughs> not not a rookie score. <laughs> Misha, how hungover were you? I was not. I had a, a relatively quiet Friday night because I knew we were we were recording this morning. I wanted to be responsible and professional. I'm not saying you 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 weren't you weren't meant to be on the collapsing. <laughs> I'm I'm reforming my ways. Yeah, I thought you were going to say you weren't hungover because you got smashed by a bike yesterday. No, that was two days ago. Oh, two days ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine. There's nothing like knowing you're waking up to sit in the hottest room on the earth for two hours to get a good night's sleep and make sure you're not hungover. It's just sweat it out. It's just sweat box. So that's been our new segment. How hungover are you? I like it. Great segment, Misha. <laughs> so Neil. Misha. We're just going to dive into it. Neil, what's your favorite thing about beer? The social aspect of it, you know. Like just doing it with people. Not that I don't do it on my own sometimes, <laughs> but to be honest, not very often. I actually, I don't really think very often I've ever cracked open a beer by myself every now and again. But when I think about it, if I'm drinking beer, it's, it's always with someone. Does the type of beer matter? Fortunately not. No. As long as it's beer. So it's just the experience. The experience yeah. of drinking beer is more important than the beer itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, get, I don't know if you guys know this, I, I stopped drinking for like about a year and a half, about 10 years ago, maybe a bit more than 10 years ago. And the first drink I had when I started to drink again was a Cooper's Green Ale. And I was in the outback in Western Australia, traveling down the West Coast, about a million degrees, so hot. And my friends had a crate of beer and I just sat there and I was like, I really want a beer with you guys, you know? You said it was a year and a half? year and a half. And were, did you have a goal in mind? Like, were you planning on not drinking ever, ever again? again, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it was a big decision to then and start drinking again. And it was so hot in the outback that yep. you just wanted that's to that's what drove me to it. It was just so ridiculously hot. I mean, now living in Saigon, you, I'm probably acclimatized to the heat, but first time in that kind of heat, doesn't didn't matter what you drank, water, juice, anything. Like, you're just so thirsty all the time. And the guys I was with had a, a crate of beer, and I was like, could really go a beer right now so eventually had one and then that was it <laughs> i'm really curious about this so so yeah i've i've had some friends who have chosen the path of sobriety for various reasons so what what was it about your life that you decided you didn't want to have any drinks anymore for the rest of your life i just i was doing stupid things so i was living in america at the time and i remember that the final straw was that i just woke up and i didn't remember what had happened like blackout drunk and I just didn't enjoy that feeling of waking up and not remembering like how I got to bed, not remembering what I did, thinking did I do something stupid. So like I, I wasn't like a good drunk, and and then yeah, I was like I'm just gonna give this up. Yeah, I think I mean I remember when I was younger being more of an angry drunk. <laughs> I like to think I'm usually a pretty happy one now, although you know there are occasions. Um, but I think part of that's just about maturity. You know, when you're young and you're drinking too much, it's you're just not mature enough to to handle it. Yeah, no, I was just I was doing stupid things and didn't want to. We have that feeling waking up every morning, and so I was like, right, I'm just gonna give it up. And then, I, I luckily, I mean, to be honest, I think it was 15 months I went without a drop. But I was living in Rhode Island in a summer camp, like at, during the year. Like during the winter, so there was like nobody there, 64 acres, me and one other person. I didn't have a lot of temptation. There wasn't much like, come and have a beer. So that helped. So the longest I've ever gone without drinking was five months. And I broke the, my fast with a, with a bottle of champagne. And I was feeling it after like two sips. So that first beer you had after a year and a half, where you, did it get on top of you? I can't specifically remember, but yeah. I do, but like you're talking about the maturity, like after that, and even now to this day, I was just much a more mature drinker. Like I am to the point where I would measure out my whiskeys and I would, you know, when I was at home and I had a whiskey with friends or, and then even going out, I would 
just I wouldn't really ever get blackout drunk again. I was just that after that I was just I felt like a mature drinker. Like I can go out and handle having drinks without having to get belligerently drunk. But I still got belligerently drunk sometimes. <laughs> so when when your your drinking shifted from something that that maybe you weren't happy with into a way that you feel like it fits into your wife at that point, did your choice in what you wanted to drink change as well? Yeah, definitely. I think I became a more discerning drinker because because I'd matured and I was not wanting to drink to get blackout drunk. So, like, yeah, exactly. I was thinking about, like, the whiskey I would drink. I started drinking gin and tonics for the first time and, and nice beer as well. You know, that's when I think the craft boom was starting back then. So we're talking back, like, 2007, this was. So I definitely became more of a discerning drinker. Yeah, I mean, people drink for different reasons, obviously. I think enjoying your drinks is is more important to you when, as you get older. You know, when you're young, it's just shot, shot, shot. You're a little bit younger than me, yeah? I'll be 40 on Monday, two oh, days. Oh, yeah, so only, yeah, only one year younger than me. So I remember, not like the moment, but I remember a time in my life when craft beer was not a phrase that I was familiar with. Was, do you remember like learning about craft beer and learning about that beers can be different and artisanal at some point in your life? Yeah, I'm, I think first, I don't know for you, for first it was Belgian beers. That was the big thing in, in Glasgow and then even around the world. It was like the Belgian beer cafe. That was like the big place to go to go and get a different type of beer. And then I moved to, I lived in Rhode Island and there was this amazing local bar in a little town called Wakefield called the Muse Tavern. It was like an old horse barn or something that had been converted and they had like a massive range of, I don't even know if they were called craft beers back then, but they had a massive range of craft beers. So like Blue Moon was the big one. We used to love going drinking Blue Moon. But I mean, you know, when we're hanging out, we easily get a crate of Cool's Light or whatnot. Like that's what you're going to drink when you're Miller Light or whatever light beer it is that you're going to crush at a house party. But when we would go to the Muse Tavern, it was always like Sam Adams as well was like pretty new. And I mean, there's a big debate, right? Whether Sam Adams is craft beer. I think I've read something about that before, but Sam Adams was good. But I think that was a transition. I don't remember the first time I've been like craft beer, but I remember it was like Belgian Beer Cafe. So when you're talking about the Belgian beer cafe, it sounds like kind of a different experience. Like you're thinking about the beer. Did that bleed into the conversations that you'd have with your friends when you went there? Would you find yourself talking about the beers you were drinking more often than if you were somewhere else with just a Coors Light? I'm feeling like I'm just going to disappoint you and break your heart. No, we were super basic. We were just enjoying the beer. Like we didn't really talk about it. I remember, I think the only flavor I ever remember discussing was like orange peel because we'd get like a big whole garden. And it had like a coriander and orange flavor. But I don't think it ever got any further than that. <laughs> yeah, so for me, like, and I, I remember saying this to Misha a long, long time ago. I'm not, what did I describe myself? A beer enthusiast, but not a beer snob or a beer geek or something like that. Like, I don't know how it's made. I don't really understand how to describe the flavors. I just really like the flavor. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, everybody's opinion is valid when it comes to beer. Everyone has their own taste, whether you're someone who's brewed many beers or someone who's never brewed a single beer in your life. You're always comparing whatever you're drinking to all the beers you've drunk before. And yeah, I, as a, as a sales guy and also a beer enthusiast, I find the whole like gatekeeping snobbery that some people bring to craft beer. It's really annoying. Just enjoy your beer. I do. So I do remember this transition though, of going from just lager. Like so in Scotland, right? We have tenants lager. Tenants. Just garbage. <laughs> Better than tenants. But some people still love it. It's one of these beers, like anything on draft, it's not, it's actually quite enjoyable. A cold draft tenants is not that bad. A can of tenants is <laughs> disgusting. And I do remember one hot summer day in Scotland, which must have been like one of the one days a year. We had warm tenants. So we thought, let's put ice in it. And it was just absolutely disgusting, like undrinkable. It's like training for living in Saigon. Yeah, and now I think ahead where I'm like, yeah, please, ice, can I get Lida? Yeah, like now it's like I request ice in my beer. It's such a change. But I remember, so I got to Adelaide and I was starting to get really into, I'd gotten into Little Creatures in Perth, which was just like the best. Like, I don't know, you guys had Little Creatures, right? Yeah. yeah. Now it's been bought over by Corinne, isn't it? It's not the same as what it was when I was there, 2006. I was unbelievable like just so good 
So it's time to get into little creatures, then went, then moved to Adelaide where they brew Coopers and Coopers was everywhere. Like every bar you went into in Adelaide had Coopers on draft, which wasn't quite, wasn't very usual in, in Australia having it on draft. And I remember having actually, it was just actually my birthday. I don't know which birthday it was. It would have been 24, 25, 26, I think. I had a, a house party and someone got me a six pack of, of beer. But but like six different beers, so it was like three different Coopers, a whole garden, a, a black ale, I can't remember, six different ones, right? And then there was this, there was a bunch of girls there, and one of these girls, that she didn't really understand it, like why they were all different. Okay. And I, I just always remember this. I tried to explain it to her, and I lined them all up from like light to dark. And I was like, just think of it like, you know, they're all beer, like it's all wine, but you have like red wine, and you have white wine, and rosé, like just think of it like that. And she looked at me, and she went, but I don't like wine. She missed the point. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. Uh, I picked up like on uh, twice. You mentioned that the beer on draft was better, whether it was like the tenants or it was rare to see the Coopers. And when you found the draft beer, that was, that made it special, right? Have you ever poured your own draft beer before? I've worked in bars. Yeah. yeah. I poured beer. Do you remember the first time that you poured your own beer? Oh, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of the first bar I worked in. I, I can't specifically remember the first time I pulled a beer. I remember pouring a Guinness at the Guinness factory though, in, in Ireland. That was cool. St. James Gate. Yeah, St. James Gate. That was, that was a cool experience. Got my certificate and everything. That was a great experience. Uh, I, I still remember pouring my first beer and being a brewer. Like That is one of the moments Like I remember, oh, wow, I get to use the tap now. This is amazing. Yeah, because I had never been a bartender. I'd been you know on the, the brewing side and poured a beer out of my kegerator at home and that's one thing but then like i walked behind the bar at the brew pub to like test the quality and like pulled the tap handle and i was like i've actually never done this before this is pretty it's cool it's a really yeah. cool experience it is yeah i mean even so we had the seven million bikes birthday party recently and you guys provided a keg and then we had the keg set up and then the staff didn't know how to pour a beer they'd never pulled a beer so i had to show them and i actually got behind the bar and was pouring some beers and it was like yeah it's, it's a really cool thing to Pour a beer to show someone else how to do it, to drink it, for sure. Yeah, for me, definitely. Like I, my start in F&B was always busboy and then serving. So I always really respected the sanctity of like being the bartender, being behind the bar. Like It was a big difference for me. And just like for customers, I noticed like they're distrustful of servers because they're like, coming over. But the bartender, they're like, they, they respect the shit out of the bartender. Like, that guy, he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> he's, he's the big man behind the bar or, you know, big lady. So yeah, I... I Especially in North America, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I remember when I was in school and I would, I'd been working in restaurants for a while. University, not not high school. But no, I had some friends who, like, they were always broke. And I always had money because I was making good tips, working on the weekends. They're like, oh, you know, if I need money, I'll just get a bartending job somewhere. And like, they don't just give those out. Like, you can't just, you've never worked in a bar before and you think you're just going to get a bartending job? Like, anyway. <laughs> It's it's a it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, and it's one of these jobs as well. Like any food and beverage job, most of the work is not done when people are in the bar, right? It's like the setup, getting the bar stop. It's the cleanup afterwards. Like it looks fun when you like see someone behind the bar pulling pints, making drinks, chatting with people, but like that's only for a few hours. <laughs> the rest of it is busting your ass. Right. So yeah, I remember one time here in Saigon. I'm not going to say who it was, but we were at a a bar. It's a friend of mine visiting from out of town. And the bartender was busy, but like he was visibly flustered, like just, and my friend was like, oh, he's, he's, he's a really good bartender. And I'm like, no, he's a bad bartender because if I was doing that, I'd be doing it faster and I wouldn't be flustered. And like, <laughs> he makes, he makes it look hard. <laughs> I, I would be able to make it look easy. That's just because I have more experience behind the bar, but. That, that that works though. I remember one time at a, a brew pub back in the United States, we had like the kitchen was crashing, right? Uh, it was just the food was not coming out. They were just way backed up. And I remember just talking to the servers and the bartenders. I'm like, just look really stressed out. It, and it works. Like all of the customers were like, oh, they're working. Like they seem really stressed out. They're trying their best to get, get the food out on time. And, and it's subtle, but, but that works. Like, it's definitely a tactic I used to use <laughs> really? sometimes back in the day. Yeah, if you just look really annoyed while you're walking through your section, they're like, oh, I don't want to bother him. He looks like he's got a lot on his mind. One of the things being a bartender in the UK, I don't know if there's so much in, in America, 
in Scotland especially, is you have to make sure that the beer you serve is filled to the top of the glass. If it is not filled to the top, they're going to hand it back. And it's almost the same thing every time. Ask for a pint, please. Right. And then you've got to make sure you top it up. I would say in the US, if you return your pint to the bartender and say it's not full enough, you're probably going to be waiting 20 minutes for your next beer. (laughs) Totally different then. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, you're like, oh, so I'm so sorry. And you immediately top it up. Yeah, I've had uh, Australian customers come up here in Saigon and complain if, if there's a reasonable amount ahead, they want it like, like you're saying to the to the tippy top of the glass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, bud. I think they they probably learned it from us. Sorry, I just want to get that on record. Neil just said that Australians do things that they've learned from Europeans. British, okay. Yeah. They don't have a culture of their own. No. <laughs> Please send your complaints to Neil at seven million bucks <laughs> dot com. Yeah, no worries, I'll take them. No, yeah. So craft beer is just once I got exposed to it though. Um, yeah, I could say it's been like a love affair when I, when I actually think about it, like everywhere I go, it's literally like, where are we going to get craft beer? Like we just went to Thailand for the first time in three years. We left Vietnam. One of the first things we do is like, look up the craft beer bars. Where are we going to go and drink? Where's a different place that we're going to drink different beer? Yeah. I love hearing stories like that. And obviously like, you know, before COVID, a lot of tourists came, they would search craft beer Vietnam and then they would just find our tap room and come in and, and then Obviously, it's easier now. There are a lot more options. But I remember back in the day when we were first starting, you know, it was only a few other places that we could uh, like recommend to go to after they came to our tap room. So it's awesome now with all the beer crafts, all the other breweries, that there's so many great options for craft beer in Vietnam. Well, that was my story. You remember, I came to Vietnam 2015 on a holiday and I went to Pasteur Street. There was only one at the time, the original tap room. And yeah, of course, the f- first, that's the first thing we did. When we got here, well, the first thing we did was have a ba ba ba. Gotta have a cultural experience. <laughs> but yeah, first craft beer, um, and like you said, probably the only craft beer at the time. Yeah, when when I travel, I not only enjoy going to craft breweries to try the different beers, you know, obviously, but it's almost like a ninety nine percent success rate that like the people that work there are going to be cool and give you an introduction to where you are. And that the other guests there are going to be cool and want to share a story or an experience with you. And and that that's a great way to travel, I think. Like, it's like a safe bet when you go somewhere, find a craft brewery, and you you know that it will be some level of a positive experience. Mm, that is true. Yeah, no, it's definitely like a craft beer bar. Like I mentioned Little Creatures, I mean, and we've kind of talked about this before. Drinking craft beer, or even what I'm saying about a social event, it's like an experience. So like, I would love to go back to Perth. And anytime I went back to Perth, it was just, all, that was like in my head, like we're going to Little Creatures. We're going to get the spicy mussels. We're going to sit out the back at sunset. We're going to drink Little Creatures IPA. Oh, they've got a new IPA. Like, you know, and, and just, it's an experience. Sure. So I did want to ask about that. You said they, they got acquired and then the beer wasn't as good anymore. It was good at all. It's terrible. Are you, are you sure? I'm sure. I'm 100% sure. Are you sure it's just not that no. the, the beer didn't live up to your nostalgia for no, the beer? I'm 100% sure. It, it got like, it got bigger. And I remember we were in Sydney and we got a bottle of Little Creatures. I was so excited. I was like, Little Creatures in a bottle. Now again, bottle was different to tap. And maybe you just got it done. Maybe. But no, but then we went back to the brewery like a little while after and had a beer and it was just yeah, it just, it wasn't, I, and I do remember the flavors, it just wasn't as floral, it wasn't as pungent, like it was, it was specifically, I was like, this does not taste as good as it used to taste. And I was like, I mean, that's what happens when it went from like a small, independent, one-off brewery to a mass-produced, owned by a massive yeah. corporation. So it's really funny, I, I have the totally opposite experience. Okay. It's very specific, but the brew pub I worked at in Toronto was Mill Street Brewery. I was there the first summer that they were open as a pub. And then after I moved to Vietnam, I was sitting at our taproom one day and I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw that Mill Street announced that they'd been acquired by Labatt, which is the massive Canadian. And it was just a thousand comments. Fuck you guys. You sold out. I'm never drinking your beer again, blah, blah, blah. And about a year later, I was back in Toronto for the first time. I had a layover at the airport and I found a Mill Street Brewery pub in the airport. I was like, from where it started, I was like, this is amazing. And I tried some of the beers that I had remembered, some of my old favorites. And when I worked there, like there were 13 beers and like four of them were really good. And then the rest were kind of okay. So I tried some of the old beers that I had and they tasted just as good. And I tried some of the new beers and they were awesome as well. So I was like, you know, they did it the right way. They, they got an investment and they put it back into the company and worked on developing new beers, new recipes, new labels, all that. And it's, 
the the beers got better. Not that's worse. good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it can't happen, obviously. My experience with this one I was very disappointed. Fair. Life's all about disappointment. Tainted the brand for me. But before that, yeah, it was just that it was like it had such a special place in my heart. Like, you know, and then, so just, and then you've made me really think about how much craft beer has had a big place in my life because everywhere I go, it's a craft beer bar, get friendly with the brewers or the people that make it. And when we were in New Zealand, massive kind of part of the, the beer community, they've just had another beer vana there. So there, and we used to go there every year. They have it in the stadium. So they've got a massive, it's called the cake tin is the nickname because it literally is just a big circular cake tin, cake tin. And Funny in New Zealand. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And, uh, so, it sounds better in Kiwi. Yeah. It's a kicked in. If you want to. Anyway. But yeah, so it's all the, the craft breweries go there. We even volunteered one year working at Keraru Brewing, which had an amazing coconut porter. And it's just thousands of people over three days just getting absolutely smashed on craft beer. No, no, it's amazing. Like uh, you go anywhere in the world and you can walk into a craft brewery and you know that uh, it's going to be accepting on some level. And you're going to have a, a good time while you're there. Like you can share a story. They'll, they'll be open. They'll be a friend. Like it, it's really, I think, uh, great for, for building a community. It's like the, the community pub, you know, where you go in and you're all there to talk about beer and be friendly. And it's a great way to like travel or visit or just get engaged with your community. The name of the podcast, right, is Beer Stories. And now as we're talking, I'm just one after the other in my head. I'm just remembering, like, I have so many beer stories. <laughs> like, it's, it's, is that good or bad? It's such a big part of my life. But I'm thinking, like, even in New Zealand, I played with a, a football team. just And it was a pub team sponsored by a craft brewery called Sprig and Fern. And they had one in Nelson. We were in Wellington, so across Tasman. And we'd go over, across, go over once a year and play a friendly against the other pub team, go to the brewery or the tap room, you know, share beers and just such a great experience. For our North American listeners, a friendly is a soccer match. <laughs> Exhibition match, you guys would call it. There you go. North America, a friendly, a meaningless game. <laughs> Exhibition match and semifinals. <laughs> so, Alex, you said something interesting before, and I want to get back to it. You said when you go into a craft brewery or brew pub in a new country, 99% of the time you're going to have this awesome, welcoming, friendly experience. I want to talk about the 1%. The one percent, the one percent that that we should not name names, but we can talk about it. Um, and and that one percent is when you walk in, and there's a lot of um, there's definitions on what is craft beer, and there's like metrics for different things, how big you are, what ingredients you use. But that one percent is when you walk in and you just know it. You know that this isn't here because somebody's happy about making the beer and trying to build an experience. You see, this is somebody's paycheck. This was just like the was either a laundry mat or a brew pub to put in the corner of this building, and they chose brew pub. And you can just see it on people's faces, and and it's unfortunate, you know. It, you hate seeing that sort of thing, but but it is is one percent. It's very rare that you have an experience like that. Absolutely, for me, I mentioned it before, like the the gatekeeping, the snobbery that some people in the industry have is a real turnoff. And if you're at a place in the just when people are arrogant, instead, like there's a difference between being proud of what you're doing which I think we all are, and being really arrogant about it. Like, hey, man, I love your beers. Like, yeah, of course. Like, why would you? Instead of thank you, just, yeah. Come on, man. There's also, what do you guys think? There's a, there's a little bit of sexism as well, I feel, in craft beer. And I'll give an example, and then we, you can Let's you open can that can of worms. Disagree. Well, so I'm just thinking again, back to New Zealand, we were at this beer festival in a big field. So like our, literally, I'm not even kidding. It was our favorite day of the year. Like We couldn't wait. You'd go up over the Rimatuka, the big mountain, just beer in a field for a day, right? And we were waiting in line, and Adri was looking at all the beers on the menu. She loves like IPAs. She loves sours. And then this guy behind, what was the beer he suggesting? I can't even remember. He's like kind of tapped and he's like, you should get this one. And it was just like the lowest strength, weakest beer. And she right. was like, you know, I, no, I, I think I'll get the double IPA. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I'm drinking a, our passion fruit wheat right now. And I still hear it around the country and around Saigon a lot. I was like, oh, that'll be good for the ladies, right? Like, it's just a light, refreshing, awesome tasting beer. We don't make beers for women or men. We just make awesome beers that... Anyone can enjoy anytime. She did, she even got it recently. We were somewhere. I can't remember. The guy was at the menu and he's like, oh, this one's for ladies. I've seen it on the menu here as well. They actually have a section for ladies. Stop. Where? 
But yeah, I've absolutely seen that, like says, four ladies and then lists a bunch of like. So the only time we've ever done something like that is just to have fun with it for like Valentine's Day. Well, like every every lady gets a free ladies beer. It's the 13% chocolate stout because <laughs> ladies love chocolate. It's going to have turn, fun with it. Turn the, yeah, yeah, turn it on its head a little bit. Um, but for sure, I mean, obviously there's sexism in the craft beer industry. There's sexism in life. Like it's it's not particular to the industry. And I think a lot of people are doing a lot of work to make it better. Just on a on a note, like uh, the head brewer at Turtle Lake up in Hanoi, she's a Vietnamese lady. Thomas's head brewer at Furbrew, she's a Vietnamese lady. Our head brewer under Alex, she's a Vietnamese lady. Like there are a lot of Vietnamese ladies getting into craft beer and making really good beers. Obviously, we're very proud of ours. Uh, Turtle Lake right now, I think, is making the most interesting beers up in Hanoi. They're doing a great job. So, you know, like anything else, it's just giving people opportunities and then having talented people take those opportunities. And right now, a lot of young Vietnamese brewers are are women, which is great. And that's awesome. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've heard about things like this as well. And I know even in previous breweries, I've mentioned lots of females involved. But I, I'm, I'm also meaning more like the, the customers are kind of like, you're talking about that snobberish, that yeah, snobbery. Yeah. I, I think I, I see a connection for, for me, at least, with what you guys are talking about. And if you get too many guys in the same place, it's going to turn into a snob, you know, sort of beer bar. Like right? there's not conversations going on about like life and dynamics. And I, I like this beer and this is how it relates to me. It's like, you don't smell that hop. Wait, you can't smell that. I can smell that, and I can tell exactly what variety that is. I can't believe you don't know. You this. only made a ten percent beer. I made I, a fourteen point five percent beer. I can't believe they didn't even know that the style guidelines dictate that it should be at least eight percent for this style. Like, psh. you know, like I think that happens when you get like you're, you're you're nerdy about it, but then you get nerdy, and there's just a whole bunch of guys, and like you have nothing else to do, and they're just like, well, let's just pick this beer apart. For no other reason. And, and, and yeah, like in Vietnam, like, you know, like any other place, there's like a mix of like guys and girls drinking. And I think it's really cool to see like at our tap rooms, I'm sure a lot of other places, like we're, we have more female guests than male. And, and you'll see a lot of tables of just like eight, eight girls going out. And you're just thinking like, why, why is that happening? And it's like, well, it's kind of a safe place. If you go to a crap brewery, you're, you're not signing yourself up to be hit on like, 15 times per hour and have your, you know, like you can, you can have your space, you can sit there and enjoy an experience. And it's the, the culture of the atmosphere, I guess, like the, the whole vibe is that it's just not appropriate to go up and just like interject, you know, but if you sit at a taller table or you sit at the bar, then you're kind of like signaling, Hey, come talk to me. But if you're at a, you can sit at a table, enjoy the experience and then have your space. And that's probably a cool experience. Like if, other places to drink beer like you don't get to have space i've never really thought about that and i'm thinking in my head like it would be so weird to see a guy go up and talk to a random female in a craft beer bar like it would just be so out of place you'd be like what are you doing now just go sit by your, with your group and but like another bar that would be totally normal to like co-mingle and talk to other people and it's, but, but if they're at the bar it's okay there's like there's like this code like if you're sitting at the bar you want a conversation if you're at a table with a group like you're having an experience with your table and like, and that's generally respected with the guests that come in for the most part. I feel like I, I agree with you hundred percent, but I, I feel like there's also just a different quality to the kind of conversation you would have if you were like leaning over and talking to the girls the next day, because you would talk about the beer. You wouldn't be like chatting them up, trying to like, Hey babe, <laughs> sorry, I can't <laughs> have a bad chat of life. Hey babe, what do you know about hops? <laughs> But no, definitely. Like you would just strike up a conversation about the beers that I'm drinking or you're drinking or whatever. It would be a more natural conversation and not like this kind of forced thing. Like, come here often. I don't have pickup lines, but I still think that would probably be the only one I would have. I wouldn't know what else to say. Right. Do you come well, here often? I'd be like, that's all I got. Well, you guys are both married, so you haven't had to try any chat up lines Even in a before while. Then, I don't think I ever used chat up lines. And if I did, I was probably like, hey, come here often. I don't know what else do you say. Well, that's why I like hanging out at our tap rooms because I've got a built-in. Do you know who I am? <laughs> do you, you do you not? I'm just, joking. I would do you not just that. sit with like a picture of you behind you? I think. <laughs> <laughs> hey, see my picture on the wall? <laughs> no, you just wait till they say, "Is that is that you? That's you? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's me. 
He just pulls out a printed sheet of paper. Have you read my expose? <laughs> kind of a big deal. It was funny, actually. Just last night, I was out at a place, and this couple, foreign guy and a Vietnamese girl, came up. And he's like, yeah, my girlfriend said that you're the founder of Pasteur Street, and she was too nervous to come say hi, so I'm just showing her how easy it is to say hi. And I was like, yeah, hey, I'm not the founder. You know, I started whatever. And he's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't really like craft beers. <laughs> All right. Great talk. Yes. Where do you go with and that? And then, so she was drinking the same beer I was. Uh, it was a double IPA from our friends at the Mekong Brewing Company. That's a good one. The Rhino. Yeah. The, yeah, the Albano Rhino. And I'm like, oh, this because he, he was saying something about the selection. And I was like, oh, we're drinking the same, me and your lady. Like, it's a good one. He takes one sip. He's like, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, no, he's like, well, but I'm Belgian, so. So that's like gatekeeper, right? Like yeah, 100%, I'm, I'm, yeah. like, I'm Belgian, so I'm a gatekeeper of, of good beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just saying where you're from and assuming that gives you credentials is, is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So there's a uh, tattoo festival later today and need to like select the, the tattoos that we're going to get. If you're getting a beer tattoo, you have to get a tattoo and it has to be beer themed. What is it? See, I'm really unimaginative. My, the first thing that comes to mind is just a frothy pint of beer. Is that is that imaginative enough? I mean, it's pretty boring. Yeah. I'm not here to judge your imagination. <laughs> I'm not good. I'm not. Yeah, you go. I'm not good with things like that. I think that's a pretty standard. Like, and there's nothing wrong with it. That kid Hugh that used to work for us, he had uh, he had that, but he also had uh, like a tap handle. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I don't have a beer tattoo yet. So it's not it's not a can or a bottle. It's solidly draft. It's a it's a pint or a tap. Yeah. Alex is always thinking on a different level than the rest of us. But yes, no, 100%. Yeah, it would be a, a draft glass mug of beer. Yeah. I mean, there there is nothing better than a draft beer. I bought was in cans. Just don't, don't do it. It's not, it's a totally different experience. I, I Well, that, so that's, sorry, you're right. The experience is different, but obviously every brewer in the world is trying to make the can and the bottle taste as similar to the draft as possible. And for some beers, it's actually quite easy. For some others, it's it doesn't translate as well. But I think what you're describing is definitely the experience of drink, the occasion of drinking, not necessarily the taste. Because I think this beer tastes the same in a can or a bottle or on tap. But also, I would enjoy it more fresh from the tap because of the experience of like sitting up at the bar, elbows on the bar, good music in the background, everybody around talking, enjoying themselves. So referencing the taste. I had, you know, one of, probably one of my favorite beers of Pastel Street is the Pomelo IPA. And I had that recently in a bottle and I couldn't even drink it. It was so sweet. It, it was like a different beer. I was like, oh, this is not the Pomelo IPA that I love. So that, that shocked me. Like that was one of the most stark differences I've ever had between a draft and a, a bottle. I mean, that's interesting because I, I think that beer is incredibly consistent. Really? Across, I mean, it might have been across a package types. different beer. I think because it... Did you leave it out in the sun for too long? No, I just got a fresh from Pastel Street at Outcast. I think it makes a difference because, you know, it's got a, a... The neck is like a narrow, really changes the flavor. Best it's like a big pint. No? You're looking at me I, like no, I, crazy. I love this. Like, you, you have all of these reasons. You're like, it must be because of the neck. That's why it tastes different. And, and as a brewer, like, I got, you know, like, almost like exhausted at one point. Like, Doing like, hey, I'm going to give you a blind taste test and here's the bottle, here's the can, here's the draft. And yeah, nobody can tell the difference. And But they're like, no, but they are different. And I just got like kind of exhausted at one point, like going through this exercise over and over and just said, why am I pushing against this? They are different. The experience is part of drinking the beer. When you see it being poured, when you see it coming to the table, that sets your expectation for how it's going to taste. And why discount that from... The experience of drinking a beer it's, it's it's as much there as like the type of hop that you use so after you know like talking about like no they actually taste the same or we use the same process or if i give you a blind taste test you couldn't tell the difference nobody does a blind drinking at their house like i'm gonna go to the store and like, close my eyes and just pick up a random beer and then take it home and not look at it and then just enjoy it no like the the seeing it and setting your expectation is as much a part of it and i think that a lot of times that goes back to draft beer and there's this the sense of fresh and the sense of um, it, it made in front of you, almost like when a mixologist, you know, like whips up this cocktail and you're like, this is made just for me. It's like they pull the tap and pour the beer and it's just for you. They're, for me, that that's as much as part of the beer flavor as 
the actual ingredients. So if you have a can or a bottle of beer, and then you pour it into a glass, drinking it direct from the can tastes different to, the, to drinking it from the glass. Surely the vessel it comes in affects the taste. Yeah, I mean, like, it, that just, it has to intuitively make sense at some point that if you drink something where you put your whole, like, mouth and nose into a cup smelling the beverage, and then the other one, you put your nose against, like, a piece of aluminum and smell that while you're drinking something out of a can, like, there's a different experience. It's probably the same for Coca-Cola or the, you know, the same for, for anything that you would drink out of a can versus getting, you know, out of a fountain. But it's not that the beer tastes different. It's... The, the experience or the vessel is different. I, I think so. I, I don't think there's a, a need to agree or disagree. I was just kind of... <laughs> well, I, I'm just, I was I'm just thinking, so the, the, the physical beer is the same. So I'm not saying that the beer is different, I guess. So I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, but the experience is different. Like the flavor is different from drinking out a bottle to drinking out of... Yeah, I think pouring maybe, that bottle into a glass or drinking it in a draft. What I'm saying is that the the experience is a much as much a part of the flavor as the hops or the barley that you put into the beer. No, I mean, for sure. Like, if you're drinking a beer straight from a bottle, you're going to be able to have that sensation of, of a glass bottle. And if you're drinking a beer straight from a can, like Alex said, you know, your nose is right up against the aluminum. Like, same. Like, food drinks everything. Like, you, you smell it. <laughs> There's also, uh, we used to talk about, like, tasting with your eyes. You know, like, when you when you see it come out, like, it, it changes. It, every, all of our senses are... In no, harmony. The, the things the studies I've read with like the coffee tastes different depending on the color of the cup that it's served in. And if you don't know if you've seen things like if you eat seafood and you have headphones on, I've seen it. There's, a, there's an experiment on that and they play like the sound of waves in your ears. Mm. The food tastes salty. Tastes fresher. Salty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the sensory experience completely changes what you and, taste. And I think with food, like you generally accept that you know the coffee doesn't actually taste different you know it's your perception of the cup. You're not thinking that the bean was different in this one. But with beer, you're like, the beer is different. That's a good point. So those are the only kinds he makes. For, for me, that's very interesting to, to think about, is that with like something that's more common, like you have coffee every day, it's mass consumption, it's all of the different levels of quality are clearly defined, the different types of service styles are clearly defined, the price point is very um, competitive in a lot of ways. And... You you value the experience a lot of times, but then with, with beers, you're like, no, it, it must be just the beer quality. The experience doesn't, you know, like it's almost easier to discount it in some way. I can't put my finger on exactly what that is, but it seems like it's there at some level. There's always a lot of conversations that this beer tastes different than the last batch, or the bottle is better than the can, or the can is better than the bottle, or draft beer is the only way. The only time that applies is if you've previously brewed durian beer in the keg. Yeah, not a not a great experience. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the durian beer on every on every? Yeah, I, think, I think that needs to be a reoccurring theme. Makes me laugh so much. We just do factor fiction at the end. So factor fiction, Neil Mackay, uh, you once were part owner of a of a brewery. <laughs> That's fact. And talk about that just a little bit? Just a little bit, yeah. Crowdfunding had just started in New Zealand, and the first ever crowdfunding offer was for a craft brewery called Renaissance. Renaissance, depends how you pronounce it. Renaissance. Yeah. Fancy uh, motherfucker. I think it's Renaissance. Well, because you're from North America, we say Renaissance, and my wife's not American, and we disagree on how that's said all the time. But anyway, regardless of how you say it, we lost our money. We went to the investor meeting. They were like, oh, you know, Kickstarter crowdfunding. And the Kickstarter for us was if you do, if not donated, if you invested over $2,000, you got a free crate of beer every year for life. So we were like, yeah, let's do it. So we did $2,000 New Zealand dollars and about 18, 18 months later, it wound up and we lost our investment. And we actually left after New Zealand after the first year of getting a free crate. So every, there was two more years, I think, after that. We just had to give that away. So we invested $2,000 for one crate of beer, basically. Not your best investment. Never again. Oh, there's been worse, but we won't talk about that. Okay. Was the beer good? They were really good. Yeah, it was really good. Well, uh, the kicker was that they sold all the IP and then just reopened again under the same name, making the same beers with the same staff. But all the investors lost out. Th this sounds like the 1%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good. Well, Sorry about that. Okay, it's a fact or fiction. Let's see. Craft beer has different ingredients than mainstream beer. And that's what makes them different. Well, fiction, it's the same basis, right? I think so. Speak, speak confidently, Neil. You are yeah. correct, sir. Yeah, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of it as like it's all water, hops, malt, and barley, right? It's the four. 
German purity law. Well, <laughs> We're going to go down that route. The Rheinheinschgebirge. The Rheinheinschgebirge. And then craft beer adds more stuff to it, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Some, well, sometimes, yeah. Necessarily? Yeah. Those are called adjuncts. Every day is a learning day. Nerd. Uh, okay. The fact or fiction, beer tastes better depending on who you're drinking it with. Fiction. You think? Yeah. I love that this question just obviously doesn't have an objectively true or false answer. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a fact or fiction if I get questioned on my answer. I find that my beer tastes better if I'm sitting next to a beautiful woman. Yes. I'm joking. Adrian, the beer tastes better when I'm with you. Oh, shout out to your wife. <laughs> fact or fiction, pale ale is Misha's favorite style of beer. Fiction. That's correct. What is it though? Double IPA. IPAs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. IPAs encompass double IPAs <laughs> yeah. and session IPAs. And, yeah, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, sour beer fan. Guinness is probably my all-time favorite beer, so, you know, Irish stouts. But yeah. Oh, that leads me to another good one. You've been to Ireland? Yes. Fact or fiction, Guinness tastes better in Ireland than anywhere else in the world. Fact. Only because I don't really think I've drunk much Guinness outside of Ireland, to be honest, but I do remember when I was there. Yeah. We drunk a lot of Guinness. Yeah, no, I agree. So I used to drink a lot of Guinness when I was living in Toronto. And there was this one little Irish pub where it was just old Irish guys sitting in the bar drinking Guinness all day, every day. And that was the best Guinness I ever had in Toronto because just the lines were so fresh. The the beers were turning over so quickly. And then when I went to Ireland, everyone was like, oh, the best Guinness. And of course, it was it was better there in Ireland because literally everyone's drinking Guinness everywhere. But the fiction for me was that it tastes better at certain pubs in Ireland. It tasted the exact same everywhere. And it tasted great everywhere, but it like we were in Belfast and someone was like, oh, you got to go to White's Tavern. It's the best pint of Guinness you'll ever have in your life. I was like, yeah, go to White's Tavern, oldest pub in Belfast. And the Guinness tasted great, but it tasted exactly the same as every other pub in Ireland that I went to. I do remember the Guinness was, now you've mentioned it, the Guinness was amazing. That's all we drank the whole time we were there. 100%. Yeah. 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 No time for gin and tonics. No, no, at all. Don't waste your time with that. I love Guinness. Yes. No, it's great. Like I'm, I'm a math guy, right? And and I love that, that like their contributions, like to math, like via trying to refine the brewing process and and inventing some very like key formulas that you use in statistics out of like their research into brewing beer and like the the same at you, you know at Carlsberg with like identifying these different types of yeast strains and like being the first to like run a, a PCR assay like separate out like the different genomes and say there's differences between these lager strains and both 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 guinness and like carlsberg have made these like really cool contributions to just general science out of researching how to make beer and for me like that that's a really cool aspect of guinness every time i think about guinness i think of the student's tea tester you know but it's great like that's a that's a cool culture and spirit you know like that we are going to literally invent math to make our beer better well invent a type of a type of doing math like for the purpose of making better beer that's pretty cool too when i did a show at the irish sports bar rabbit hole irish sports bar and they had you know your nitro irish stout and i was like ah oh, they don't even have guinness here but don't worry they got the nitro irish stout it's it's better than guinness anyway that's a bold claim i think it just kind of came out my well it kind of just like came out of my mouth you know i'm on stage i think i said it's nearly as good as guinness if not better something like that and then there's a group of irish guys right in the front row and they're like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, all right, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, I had to like backtrack my, st- my statement. As as a massive Guinness fan, I would never say that any Irish stout that we make would be better than Guinness. I don't think I said better, but, okay. better, but nearly it's, as good it's a re- as It's a really good beer. Yeah, yeah. Neil, fact or fiction, Alex loves Guinness. Fact. Good work. <laughs> I was just seeing if he was listening. <laughs> uh, that's true. But not for the taste, for the math. And for the taste. And for the taste. The experience. He tastes the math mm, as he's drinking the it. The experience. Let's go out on that for the experience, for the craft. Happy. Neil, thanks for stepping outside of your comfort zone and being the interviewee. Thank you for having me. I love talking about beer. I know I'm, I'm like, I could just keep talking about beer all day. It's- Obviously, you've edited a lot of podcasts where you were the host. Mm-hmm. Is it like really normal to hear your own voice now or does it still get inside your head when you're doing the editing? I'm really, I'm such a strange person. Like, I don't mind the sound of my own voice at all. <laughs> you arrogant. I know. I don't, I don't like saying it. It sounds like you're really arrogant because it's one of these things people like, I don't like the sound of my own voice. And I'm like, oh, it's just so normal to me too. Yeah. I, I've, I've done enough podcasts now recently that I'm, 
I'm used I'm used to hearing my voice. Neil, thanks for being so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I love talking about beer and I'm excited that we're making this podcast. All right, so this has been Beer Stories. Thank you to our guest, Neil Mackay. Check out his podcast as well. Thanks to Lewis Wright for uh, our theme music. Thanks, as always, to my co-host, Alex Violet. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.